It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, October 12, 2009. Broadcasting from the frozen north. Loving Minnesota and Wisconsin, um, not liking the weather. Um, October snow? um, Where did this come from? Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to get you to think biblically, to get you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Do do I sound tired? I think I sound tired. (laughs) Um, You know what? I feel tired, so if I feel tired, that means I probably sound tired. If I sound tired, it's because I feel it. So just wanted to let you know how that works out. Wow, what a what a weekend. Uh, I told you I was traveling up to Minnesota last week, and I would give you details this week. Um, I uh, attended the uh, Emergence Christianity 21 conference uh, over the weekend. It was um, Friday, uh, Saturday, and part of Sunday, although I skipped out on the Sunday festivities. Um, for, the, for the very reason that uh, after attending the conference for two days... Uh, I, I was literally uh, sad and depressed. That, that's the best way I could describe uh, what I experienced as a result of uh, visiting this Christianity 21 conference there in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, uh, who who ordered the snow, by the way? Uh, you Minnesotans need to... <laughs> but uh, yeah, So coming out of the Christianity 21 conference, I was literally... Sad. Uh, when I attended the Moltmann conference in uh, Chicago that the emergence put on, I was creeped out. I mean, it was like, whoa, what was that? This was more like, oh, man. You know, it's, uh, in fact, I'm going to, it was basically just, you know, a, a feeling of sadness. And the reason why I had a complete feeling of sadness is because I spent the weekend with a group of people who are smart who are intelligent, who are well-spoken, who are well-read. And, um, and uh, yet, I, the, the only way I can describe what the emergence uh, movement has produced is a bunch of people who have created a God in their own image, or maybe in the image of Gandhi, and uh, they're worshiping that God and calling it Christianity. Uh, that's the best way I can describe it. And uh, I'll give you more details later. Um, so anyway, uh, and then also yesterday, well, uh, big thanks uh, to all of you who came out to uh, Twin City Fellowship uh, there in St. Louis Park in uh, Minnesota. And uh, I, Bob DeWay and I did a tag team. Uh, we tag teamed his uh, Sunday, his adult Sunday school class, and there was a lot of people who came out uh, to uh, to that Sunday school class to hear Bob and I talking about uh, the emergence movement and what it is and uh, hopefully we'll have audio on that very soon uh, and uh, but you know again uh, a big thanks to Bob DeWay who also uh, was able to uh, you know find a, a couple in his congregation who uh, 
beautiful had a beautiful family that put me up uh, for a couple of days and I just had a fantastic time with them. Fell in love with Minnesota. I really did. Uh, I can almost see myself moving to Minnesota and really enjoying it and becoming an outdoorsman. The only problem is is that I cannot bear the thought of having Al Franken as one of my senators. So uh, the <laughs> politically, the Minnesotans need to um, <laughs> let's just say that uh, they <laughs> they could do better than that. So anyway, um, but the, the the other thing is is that as a Southern California, I grew up in Southern California my entire life. I think I would have a hard time getting used to uh, snow in October. Although I've uh, now had two days where uh, that's um, <clears throat> been something I've had to deal with. So anyway, uh, just, just thoughts on the the frigid north, uh, northern states there in uh, in uh, the United States. And um, beautiful foliage, though, uh, in my travels uh, since Friday. I've got to tell you, just the leaves, I've, I, I have never seen colors uh that i've some of these colors that i've seen on the leaves that are turning uh that are turning here uh up in the north and uh boy oh boy i you know i i was as i was driving to the conference i saw these um sugar maples and the the only way i could describe it is it, it was like they were on fire that, that i mean the red was so intense i'm thinking i have never seen an intense red like that on any tree it was amazing absolutely amazing and uh, and so, you know, I, I'm experiencing things I've never quite experienced before, even though I'm 41 and uh, decrepitude has <clears throat> come upon me quickly. Oh, and by the way, uh, th- those of you who are my friends on Facebook, uh, yes, you can see me with uh, pictures of Paula Coyle and her family and friends in the uh, Twin City Fellowship parking lot uh, with me wearing my um, Tim the Enchanter hat. And Paula is the one, uh, Paula and Maya Coyle are the ones who sent that to me. And... Um, <laughs> I, I think I captioned, you know, they, after they posted, I went into one of them and I, and I asked the question, does this Tim the Enchanter hat make me look fat? A- anyway, I just, you know, I had to ask the question. Okay, so let's talk about what we're going to talk about here at Fighting for the Faith. I want to talk a little bit about the uh, C21 conference and um, it, it kind of gives some of my impressions as to what it is that I'm that, that we're seeing with this emergent movement. And uh, you know, one of the ways I've referred to the C21 conference is, uh, is uh, a friend of mine, Ken Silva, had a term that uh, I've ripped off and kind of modified, and, and the term is apostasia palooza. Not every speaker, you know, was just preaching rank heresy. Not every one of them was. However, there were plenty of them that I lost track on the uh, heresies per minute count, and uh, so. But we'll talk about more of that about in, in a minute. And then I got a news story. Uh, Conservapedia is seeking to eliminate liberal bias from the Bible. Um, seeking to eliminate liberal bias from the Bible. We're going to comment on this uh, this effort on the folks uh, on the on the part of the Conservapedia folk to quote eliminate liberal bias. Uh, as as well meaning as this might sound, I think they're kind of missing the point. And then we've got news regarding Shane Hips and uh, Mars Hill Bible Church. We're going to talk about that. And then kind of moving into similar themed um, news stories based on what I saw at the emergence, it seems to be the thing on my mind is um, social justice or the social gospel. Uh, We got got the uh, uh, stories from the Christian Post regarding evangelical movement at at head-snapping moments, says Scholar. We'll talk about what he means by that head-snapping moment. 
And uh, and then we got a new story about uh, there's so many of these churches. I don't even know why. You know, they, I mean, this is a campaign, but it's a it's the uh, be the church, don't come to church uh, campaign. They, another church has gotten ink regarding this, and uh, we'll talk about that. And then our sermon review today. Oh boy, it's um it's a, a sermon about courage. I yeah I, I and. The reason I picked this particular sermon is is because it exemplifies something that I think is key in uh, the formation and growth of the emergent church movement. And uh, I, it's sermons like this that I think that are are causing an evangelical brain drain and, uh, and basically causing uh, evangelicals who have at least some sense of, of, of um, that they have a brain. That uh, they're 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 leaving the churches uh, as a result of uh, pastors and sermons like this. So uh, that's what we're going to be talking about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. And you know, so with that, we'll, I want to talk about C twenty one. I told you I was depressed. I was sad when I left. And and again, the the reason why I'm sad is because what I saw were a group of people who, for lack of a better way of putting it, they are smart. They are intelligent. These are people with advanced degrees. These are people who, uh, a lot of them, there's a common uh, story running among many of the emergents, and that is is that they are refugees, people who have left uh, American evangelicalism. They've been burned out by pietistic, legalistic churches. Uh, The constant moralizing of... Uh, of uh, what used to be the intact religious right, uh, the James uh, the James Dobsons, the Jerry Falwell type of Christianity, and uh, these are people who you know who, who at one point or another, many of them uh, were youth pastors in evangelical churches, or they were part, they were in ministry in evangelical churches, and they basically said that that's it, we're done, and um and. Trying to think through this coherently, I had a couple of really good conversations with Tony Jones. Uh, said hey to Doug Paget and talked for a few minutes with um, Jay Baker, um, and I had a very interesting and I would consider constructive conversation with Nadia Bowles Weber. And, um, and in fact, and, and I even had my picture taken with Phyllis Tickle. I, you know, I, I am surprised I did not put that up. I really should put that up on Facebook. Uh, and, uh, when I have a moment, I will do that. You know, literally at this conference. Oh, and I also got a, uh, an autographed copy of, uh, Danielle Schroyer's new book, The Boundary Breaking God and Unfolding Story of Hope and Promise by Daniel Schroyer, who is, uh, a very, very well-spoken emergent uh, gal. Uh, she's the pastrix over at the Journey Church there in Dallas, Texas. And, um, you know, again, these are people um, that are not um, intimidated or evasive if you come up and you talk to them and have a question. They have no problems with engaging in conversation. Um, it, this is in direct contrast to what I see from the uh, from the purpose driven guys. These uh, the purpose driven guys they are as evasive as you could possibly get. Um, you know, I if you follow me on Twitter, you've know that there's several occasions in which I have invited 
uh, Perry Noble from New Spring Church to come on to my radio program. Uh, too busy, won't do it. Uh, the, the, and, um, and, and yet he continues from the pulpit to just say some really outrageously non-biblical or uh, Bible-twisty type things. Um, the, the, the only real conversation I've really had with a purpose-driven pastor, despite the fact that I, I actively try to reach out to these guys and get, and try to engage them in conversation, uh, they, they are almost impossible to get a hold of. The only one I've really had a conversation with is Rick Warren. And I had a quote audience with him and his, uh, and his entourage of bodyguards. Uh, that was, uh, Bob DeWay and myself. We met with him, I think, end of, uh, beginning of June, end of May of 2008. Um, whereas the emergence, on the other hand, they're not threatened by conversations. They're not threatened by um, by you know you showing up and wanting to talk to them. They're, they, these people are approachable, uh, and uh, and they don't mind um, kind of get mess mucking it up a little bit. That's probably the best way of putting it. And I got to tell you something. There's something about that that's academically refreshing, considering the fact that. Um, the uh, purpose-driven guys are the complete opposite. And the best way I can put it is that the uh, the purpose-driven movement is creating the emergent movement. Uh, the seeker-driven mega-church movement is creating uh, as, a, as an un... Uh, basically an unintended consequence of their dumbing down of Christianity. The, the unintended consequence is that they are creating uh, the emergence. That, that's probably the best way I can put it. It's like it, it's this, this this law of the universe that for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. I, I, I that's what I think the emergent church movement is. And so I mean, kind of work through the scenario. Let's let's say that uh, you are uh, an, a smart, you know, above average uh, intelligence young man and or woman, and you want to be in ministry. And you are attending an evangelical megachurch, okay, uh, or a, a church that's gone purpose driven, or you know something like to that effect, okay. And um, and what you what you experience at those churches is a complete dumbing down of Christianity to where the pastor on any given Sunday preaches God knows what. Uh, basically by picking uh, picking out of context Bible passages and then putting them on a clothesline and kind of stringing together a bunch of out of context Bible passages and 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 this is supposedly a word from God right this is what God wants you to know that at that that particular Sunday and you have half a brain and you're sitting there going this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life and that pastor on any given Sunday, the only thing he does is brag and brag and brag about how many people have made a decision for Jesus, or we call it body count evangelism. So they're, the thing that they're engaging in over and over and over again is is bragging about how much growth they have. And yet, the funny thing is, is that um, if you have a brain or if you're a desire to understand God's word, you just ain't gonna get it on Sunday. In fact, you're you're being told that you're selfish for wanting that. Okay, it's just a matter of time if you have half a brain before you say this is the dumbest thing I've ever experienced. I can't believe I was dumb enough to participate in this or you know, it, it, that kind of thing. And but see, the thing is, is that you have some you have some sense of the things of God and a desire to learn more about it. Well, 
the emergent church is sitting there waiting to catch you as you leave the door of uh, of mega church evangelicalism they're just waiting for you and so what's happening is is that there is this huge brain drain going on in american evangelicalism and where are these people going they're either going nowhere some of them thank god have discovered the reformation and are are uh, and and they're going by into solid confessional reformed or solid confessional Lutheran churches that are actually preaching and teaching Christ and him crucified. Uh, but a lot of them, um, the, because the popularity of the, of, of the books out there by emergent authors and the, you know, the kind of fad that, uh, that has been, and I think continues to be the emergent church in their books. Um, the emergent church is there to hook them. It's there to hook them on their way out. And uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, the ethos of the emergent church, yeah, there is an emphasis on the social gospel, but that's not the real big ethos. It, what, what I'm basically seeing, um, one way of describing it, is, and this is not a fair description for everybody in the emergent movement, is that in, in a real way, these are people who are angry, who are, um, who are very, um, they they want to, they want to destroy uh, the megachurch movement and and this dumb Christianity, this this dumbed down, uh, completely vacuous form of of Christianity that is so predominant in uh, the states here in the United States. And you know what? I can't blame them for that because I think that the form of Christianity that has taken root, this pragmatic. Uh, watered down, seeker driven thing that is, is out there is just, it, it doesn't deserve to be called Christianity for, for one thing, because it constantly is, is twisting God's word. Um, but at the other time, at the other part of it is, is that, you know, it's driving people away that we really need, uh, young, talented, smart thinking, uh, people. Uh, people who are actually capable of rubbing two brain cells together, and the emergent church is there to suck them into their orbit and their rethunk Christianity. That, and I know rethunk isn't really a word. I, I, sometimes I just make stuff up, my own vocabulary along the way. Chalk it up to a Rosebro-ism, if you if you would. And so what's happening is is that they are leaving and they're being they're being recruited. And that that that's a good, another good way of putting it. They're being recruited into. Uh, the emergence movement, and uh, when you get to the emergence movement, you are capable of having a conversation that doesn't insult your intelligence. You can have a conversations a conversation with an emergent pastor, and don't you don't have to get past their bodyguards to get to that pastor. You are capable of having a conversation with an emergent uh, leader, and um, the emergent leader isn't gonna isn't gonna say, you know, I I I'm not, I'm not gonna answer that question. Uh, because it might hurt my bottom line, and it might be embarrassing, and it could cause could cause our market share to plummet. Um, you no, know, and these people are more than willing to have an engaging, authentic, mentally, intellectually uh, stimulating conversation with you on a biblical or theological topic. And in that sense, okay. Um, in that sense, I, I, I can say I completely understand and get the emergent movement. I really do. 
And uh, I told that to Tony Jones personally. I said, I completely get why you guys are doing this. I, I mean, I s- totally understand why they called themselves a conversation at first. And really the conversation was to rethink church and find a way to make it more authentic and get away from this McDonald's franchise way of thinking about ministry and programming and all, and, and this body count evangelism and get to something that actually has some substantive meat to it. Yeah. I completely get it. The problem is is that the conclusions that they've drawn and the theology that they've crafted is not biblical. It is dangerous. It is seductive. It is, uh, boy, I could tell you right now, it, whew, you know, there's a part of you that goes, wow, I've never heard this before. And then you go, wait, 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 wait. Where does the Bible say any of that? It doesn't. And so, you know, the best way I can put it is, is that those leaving evangelicalism for the emergent church, it's, uh, it's jumping out of the fi- frying pan and landing in the fire. It, that's exactly what we're talking about here. And so here's, from my point of view, the real quandary. How do we fight the heresies, and they are, that is exactly what they are. They are rank heresies of emergence theology and not uh, end up leaving people in this empty, vapid, purpose-driven mega church. You can't, you can't ask any real questions model that's out there and so pervasive among, the emer- uh, among evangelicals. It's a real tricky thing. It's a real tricky thing because I can tell you this. Um, let's say, you know, in the best possible scenario, okay, somebody is able to get a hold of Tony Jones and uh, spend some time with him uh, and, and engage him in good, constructive conversation, open up the scriptures to him, and he repents of his heresy and repents and receives the forgiveness of sins offered to him in Jesus' name, becomes a, uh, an outspoken uh, person who is in favor of uh, the, the penal substitutionary atonement, uh, the imminent and uh, chronos time bodily return of Jesus Christ in glory to judge the living and the dead, embraces the doctrine of hell and stuff like that. I can tell you this, if that were to happen, Tony Jones would never in a million years go teach at Willow Creek. You you, you see what I'm saying? And the reason why is because that type of biblical Christianity, that kind of depth in uh, Christian doctrine is just not there in a Willow Creek or a Saddleback model. It's just not there. And so in, in a real way, the emergence movement has become like the lost boys, the lost boys and girls of uh, Christianity. I mean, that's it's. You, you ever seen the movie Hook? And uh, you, you where you got the lost boys? You know, it's it's this really. That's what these folks are, and in a sense, they're having a temper, a spiritual and theological temper tantrum against what they uh, what they uh, they grew up in and came to hate. They, they, they're not interested in coexisting with it. They really actually want to destroy it. They, I, I can say that with, with absolute certainty. They're not interesting in, interested in coexisting with this shallow, 
mentally draining, legalistic, pietistic, uh, seeker-driven megachurch movement. They're not interested in co- coexisting with it. They actually really, truly are um, motivated to finding a way to co-opting it, taking it over, and blowing the whole thing up. That, that's exactly... <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> you should hear some of the things these folks said. It's like, whew, okay. So um, those are kind of my just initial thoughts on on this whole thing. And so, you know, I'm I'm at a loss at the moment because you're kind of catching me as I'm still processing, as I'm still thinking, as I'm still really trying to figure out um, what can be done to combat this and in a way that doesn't then end up locking people up in the prison of this shallow, dumb Christianity that is so pervasive. And I, I got to tell you, I just don't have any easy answers. I ha- I, I really don't. And the one thing I'm absolutely certain of is is that um, I'm I'm a small fish, and um, what's what I'm trying to do um, is find a way to uh, recruit some bigger fish uh, to offload all of this information and data that I have regarding the uh, emergence movement, and uh, try to get some bigger names to. Uh, to open up their guns on this thing and, and maybe think about what what needs to happen. And uh, funny enough, I keep coming back to, in my mind, the, um, the fundamentalist um, modernist debate within the Presbyterian Church. Now, remember last week uh, we reviewed one of the, uh, we reviewed Hem- Harry Emerson Fosdick's uh, sermon, Shall the Fundamentalists Win?, and okay, work with me here for a second. You're you're getting me kind of processing in real time, and uh, so that sermon was fresh on my mind when I left for Minnesota, and um and while I was on the way to Minnesota, uh, into the frozen north, um, one of the things that really what I was doing was I was catching up on my uh, listening of issues, etc. Now I I you know those those of you who know I run Pirate Christian Radio. And uh, issues, etc., is 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 a fine, fine radio program, and it's it's it and it's done on such a basis that it it, it challenges and stimulates me. And so I was listening to uh, Pastor Will Whedon's uh, um, five part uh, series on the Nicene Creed, and um, fascinating, absolutely fascinating series. If you have not listened to uh, Pastor Will Whedon's five-part series on the Nicene Creed, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I I do not have words that can uh, that I that can express properly my uh, my my urging and pleading with you. You you really should listen to these. And uh, so I've got Harry Emerson Fosdick's really bad uh, liberal sermon on on my mind. And I have uh, Pastor Will Whedon's discussion of the uh, Nicene Creed also on my mind now floating around. And one of the things I was thinking while listening to Pastor Whedon was that um, I think one of the reasons why the fundamentalists, uh, f- uh, you know, ultimately uh, the, they didn't were, weren't able to have a definitive um, victory over the modernists 
uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, is is that uh, you know the moderates went, uh, the modernist liberals went ad hominem on it, basically accusing these people of basically you know of basic of being inbred, no better than a you know sixty IQ uh, redneck if you're a fundamentalist, and and they and they they were successful at tarring and feathering the fundamentalists and making them look like a bunch of extremists. But if you look at the way the Presbyterian Church, uh, the the like J. Gresham Machen. And those fighting the modernists uh, within the Presbyterian Church back in the 1920s, uh, these these people are very intelligent, and they have some great biblical arguments against them. But um, the one thing that you, there were, you think of the five fundamentals that that came out as a result of it. The one thing that that didn't gel into was an actual creed. Um, and um, and I think one of the reasons why it didn't gel into a creed of sorts is uh, specifically because. Uh, there was an eschatological element in there that is highly debatable. And so what happened is is that um, the eschatological element in the five fundamentals was the premillennial return of Christ. It kind of ruled out uh, good Reformation amillennialism. And so as a result of it, I, 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 you know, the fundamentalists ended up getting, you know, brought into more of a dispensational into the dispensational wing of uh, American evangelicalism. And it, you know, but I think if, um, if the fundamentalists at, at, early on had been able to take the five fundamentals and put them into the form of some kind of an ecumenical creed, um, or, or, you know, some kind of a fundamental, you know, some kind of a creed contra the, um, the the modernist liberals uh, a creed that uh, that amillennialists as well as premillennialists could have uh, boughten into uh, then I think we might have been able to defend at least had a, a stronger victory per se uh, because uh, you know, one of the ways in which the church throughout history has combated heresies is by adopting creeds and uh, the Nicene Creed in particular was adopted specifically against the Arians. And the language in the Nicene Creed, uh, no, there's language in there on, that was put in there on purpose that the, that the, uh, that the, uh, Arians could not confess. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, it, I, I think, thinking out loud here, it may be high time to consider a, a, a new creed, a new creed that would basically say, the Christian faith includes these uh, doctrines, and, the, and and those and those confessional statements need to be contra the emergent church and and liberalism 2.0, and done in such a way that can it be it can be adopted by amillennial as well as premillennial dispensational churches. Because keep in mind, the emergent church doesn't. Uh, it, it, fighting the emergent church on the issue of eschatology. Uh, requires you to confess what's already in the creeds that Christ will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. Already in the Nicene Creed, uh, the emergence uh, can't confess that. So a recapitulation of that particular point within the Nicene Creed, uh, basically it makes it real clear. So in the future, if we can find some way of adopting you know, the five fundamentals in a way that it's a confessional statement that we can hold out in front of a person and say, do you confess these, uh, this creed to be tr- a true a uh, synopsis of what the scripture teaches um a, a, an emergent would be wouldn't be able to say yes to it as a result of it we would be able to say okay you're outside of christianity and we're not going to let you teach in our churches but uh, anyway i'm thinking out loud so i you know but I, I something to consider i think it may be time to put together to you know kind of retake up the five fundamentals 
and craft them into a creedal form uh, that that the eschatology also doesn't uh, rule out all millennialists. And uh, we might that that may be a way to fight this, um, at least on on one level. But uh, anyway, we're up on our first break. And in my in my tired ramblings as I travel across the frozen northwest, uh, actually, north, middle, west, north, midwest. What do you anyway, you get what I'm talking about. Um, So anyway, we're up on our first break. Got to pay some bills. Um, so if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. That's right, my name there is Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> You're listening to the Emergence Sports Network here on Pirate Christian Radio. You've tuned in just in time to catch today's Emergence Ball match between the Pomo Bombers and the Majestic Mystics. Today's match is proudly brought to you by Rex Quando's Bible Pants. There's the buzzer, and they're off. McLaren dribbles a pigskin down to first base, takes out his putter, and... Whoa! Jones checks McLaren against the boards, and then passes to Paget in left field. But wait! Fools Weber is charging from the 10-yard line, and she slam-dunks from the foul line! That's a birdie! The crowd is going wild! When was the last time you saw something like that? I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. Okay, play is resuming. There's Rollins. He serves to Bell. Bell snatches the snitch. And then Hail Mary passes to McLaren. McLaren is in the end zone. Oh, and he slaps it back to third base. Tickle grabs her wicket and then punts one out into center court. It looks like Jones and Padgett are double-teaming Bowles Weber. He doesn't have a shot, so she slices one off into the rough. McLaren is there to make the safety, but Padgett grabs McLaren's face mask and then throws down to second base. What a brilliant save that was. Jones takes out his driver, then sends one out to midfield. Tickle headbutts the ball and then sends it back to McLaren. He vaults over the pummel horse. Oh, and he sticks the landing! Unfortunately, the degree of difficulty wasn't that high, but McLaren racked up seven brownie points. Tickle sets up for the kickoff. But wait, Jones is trying to steal third base. Tickle slap shots the ball back to Bulls Weber, but Jones is safe. He's safe. The 
That means it's going to be third down with 44 meters to the pin. Looks like this match is going to go into sudden death. What if the entire resurrection was a hoax? Well, that's the premise of the book A Skeleton in God's Closet. Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber, a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archaeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archaeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth no matter what the cost. Said Paul Erdman of the New York Times, with a skeleton in God's closet, Paul Meyer has created a new genre, the theological thriller. It reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity. It's a superb book. A Skeleton in God's Closet is available at piratechristianradio.com. It's right there on the homepage. It's available for $14.99 plus $4.95 shipping and handling. And all proceeds support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com and get your copy of A Skeleton in God's Closet today. We are back. You are listening to Fighting for the Faith. Warning. If you are looking for a radio program that will give you three easy tips on how to improve your sex life, you are listening to the wrong show. All right, need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio, and right now we are in the middle of a drive to uh, convince 1,000 of you all, that's right, you, my listeners, uh, to uh, join the Pirate Christian Radio crew. And believe me, there are some. There, there are going to be some perks. I hope to be able to announce some of those maybe next week. But uh, to joining the crew, that to, if you don't join the crew, you don't get the perk. But uh, the idea here is, is that uh, we, as many of you know, we have a financial un- a backer here for Fighting for the Faith. And uh, in uh, February of 2010, which is just a few months away, in February of 2010, uh, that re- that uh, backer will n- no longer be able to back us. <laughs> so we feel like we have our back up against the wall. But ne- no, never not to worry. The, the Lord takes care of us, and he takes care of us through you, our listeners. And so what we're looking for is a 1,000 of our listeners to join the Pirate Christian Radio crew. And by joining the Pirate Christian Radio crew, you're signing up to have a mere $6.95 deducted from your account every single month. Well, $6.95 is nothing. That's a couple of mochas at uh, Starbucks. It's an extra value meal at McDonald's or Burger King. It's it's mere pittance is when, when you think about it. And yet, um, by getting to 1000 that be, that $6.95 means everything to, uh, to Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith. Why does it mean everything to us? The reason why is because uh, when we get to 1000 that will ensure, at least on a monthly basis, that we're meeting the very minimum that we need every month to pay all of our bills and um, and to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio to you. So you can join the Pirate Christian Radio crew or the Fighting for the Faith crew by visiting FightingForTheFaith.com 
And when you arrive there, click on the friendly Join Our Crew button, and you'll be taken to a screen where you can fill in your, your data so that uh, your account will be debited every month, $6.95. Or if you'd like to uh, you know to contribute above and beyond that amount, you can do so by clicking on one of the donate buttons, or you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, real quick here. Um, we've reviewed Shane Hips's sermons uh, here at uh, Pirate Christian Radio, here at Fighting for the Faith. And those of you who know uh, what I'm talking about, Shane Hips was one of the prominent speakers at the Poets, Prophets, and Preachers Conference put on by Rob Bell this summer over at Mars Hill Bible Church. Well, uh, in based on my conversations with Shane Hips, I've had a couple of them, and based upon the sermons I've reviewed from Shane Hips, I've come to the conclusion that Shane Hips is not a Christian; he's a pantheist. He defines salvation as discovering the as being awoken to the divine spark or the divine breath within you. So Jesus came to awaken us to this divine spark and divine breath within us, and um, and so I you know I that puts him squarely into the realm of pantheist. Well, um, rather interesting. Um, I've known for a couple of weeks that there's been a rumor running around uh, that Shane Hips was going to be called as a uh, as the second preaching pastor at Rob Bell's church. And uh, while I was at the uh, Christianity 21 conference, uh, Tony Jones uh, enlightened me to the fact that that was absolutely true. And I told Tony that uh, Shane Hips was uh, a pantheist, and he said, no, he's not a pantheist. I'm all, yes, he is. Listen to my show. <laughs> I'm going to send him some links to a couple of things. But I, yeah, he talks to uh, Shane Hips on a regular basis because uh, Shane used to do uh, youth ministry up there in Minnesota. And um, and 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 so Tony Jones and Shane Hips actually know each other. And, and so I said, when you talk to him, um, you know, ask him what salvation is. Ask him about being awoken to the divine spark within you. You'll see what I'm talking about. He 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 didn't seem to believe me. Well, anyway, uh, Shane Hips, the uh, the pantheist guy. Yes, he's been called as the second teaching pastor at Mars Hill Bible Church. This is the guy who, at Mars Hill, preached a couple of sermons there, and in one of them, he uh, ex- explained to people and demonstrated how to uh, practice the, quote, spiritual discipline of silence, which, by the way, is nowhere found in Scripture, um, and uh, and then taught people how, using the spiritual discipline of silence, how to release themselves into the heart of God. Again, a uh, something that that to which the Bible says nothing about. In fact, his ideas are completely not found in Scripture. This is also the guy who basically claims that all religions are are sails in which we can catch the winds of the spirit, and some sails are more um, efficient or are more effective at catching the winds of the spirit. That's why he's a Christian because the Christian sail is a very effective uh, sail for catching the winds of the spirit. But if you're a Muslim or a Buddhist, those are perfectly valid sails for catching the wind of the spirit. Now, here's the deal. We've uh, we've exposed this and discussed this uh, here at Fighting for the Faith, and now Shane Hips is going to be the second teaching pastor over at Mars Hill Bible Church, which basically uh, asks the question, do you think that uh, Rob Bell also believes these things? Well, if he didn't, then why would he have somebody like Shane Hips uh, sharing the pulpit with him? You know, the two now Rob Bell and Shane Hips are two oxes, if you would, uh, yoked to the same uh, pulpit. And um, so we've got a question. Is uh, Shane Hips and Rob Bell, do their do their theologies jive with each other? I would I would wager a, 
basically, I would wager that they do. It tells us more about some of the problems with Rob Bell, and which also might explain why whenever Rob Bell opens his mouth regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ, we never quite seem to hear um, biblical uh, Christianity coming from his mouth, but something completely different. So there you have it, Shane Hepp's second, uh, and, and by the way, this has been announced on the uh, uh, Mars Hill Bible Church website. It's it's you know it's there, and um, so... Out in the public now. There we go. Uh, blind leading the blind, if you would. Okay, let's see here. Okay, now since I have this emergence thing and 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 the social gospel firmly on my mind, when I was at the Christianity Twenty One conference, one of the things that's a part of the emergent church movement, I, I would I would definitely say it's not the main driver, but it's a part of it, is the social gospel. And the reality is, is that some of the things that were brought up at Christianity 21 in regards to social justice are valid implications of the biblical gospel. Too bad they weren't uh, preaching the biblical gospel. Um, and so, you know, and so, um, the other thing is, is they just seem to specialize in making you feel guilty for being a, a middle class suburbanite. I mean, that just by breathing, you're doing the wrong thing. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, if you don't, you know, if you don't buy dolphin free tuna and or, or organic vegetables, then uh, then you're 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 not doing the right thing. But um, hang on a second here. Um, yeah, there we go. I got, just gotta cue this up. All right. So from the um, Christian Post, evangelical moving at head snapping moment says scholar. Yeah, that's what the that's what the headline reads. Uh, let me find out who wrote this. Uno momento here. Hold on a second. My com- my computerized news reader um, program is uh, here. It is. All right. So evangelical moving at movement at head snapping moment says scholar. Now listen carefully to this. Landover, Maryland. Uh, the evangelical movement is at a head snapping generational change with younger evangelicals revolting. Against the tone of the Christian rights as a prominent religious scholar. What's funny is, is that this kind of goes back to what I'm saying, is that the uh, the the emergence movement is uh, is the uh, equal and opposite reaction against uh, uh, the McDonald's franchise version of Christianity and it's, uh, and stifling uh, legalism uh, of the religious right. Um, Revolting is the right word. Uh, across the nation, by the way, this is by Michelle Vu of the Christian Boy. Across the nation, young evangelicals are naming <clears throat> Rick Warren or Bono as their role model for social engagement rather than a conservative right uh, right leader, uh, says Michael Gerson, senior research fellow at the Center on Faith and International Affairs at the Institute for Global Engagement. Uh, Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, California, is known for mobilizing evangelical churches in the battle against HIV/AIDS in Africa. While you too, the frontman for uh, frontman Bono, is uh, is you uh, too frontman Bono is one of the world's leading anti-poverty activists. Now, I want to point something out here: uh, fighting poverty and um, getting involved in the battle against AIDS are valid valid fruits of repentance that comes about through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And um, I don't, I think Christians ought to be involved in these things. 
However, um, if the Christian leader in question who's calling you to be involved in such things uh, isn't actually preaching the gospel, but instead is just basically giving you a guilt trip and telling you uh, you're evil if you don't get involved, uh, well, then we've got a problem because then your act, your social justice activism is, is based upon the law and not the gospel. It's not a valid fruit of repentance and the forgiveness of sins uh, in Jesus' name. Instead, it's something that you're doing in a sense to kind of self-medicate and make you feel a little bit less guilty about your sinful nature. See, that's the problem is that uh, if you are if if you're doing good deeds in order to silence, to basically silence the guilt that you feel because you do not keep God's law, that's not a fruit done. That's not a work done in faith. That's that's actually a work done under the law to try to make it so that uh, you can say to yourself, "You're a good person. At least you're trying hard," because God knows your heart. Uh, that, but see, the thing is, is that Christian sanctification, true biblical sanctification is never motivated like that. True Christian sanctification, sanctification flows from and is a fruit of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. We serve our neighbor, neighbors as Christians, uh, not because God needs our good works or because by doing so we can placate an angry God as if our works are meritorious. No, instead it's because we've been raised from the dead from the preaching of the gospel and uh, we are now set free from sin, death, and the devil because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And we can now, and now we can't but serve our neighbor in love and serve him in many ways. That would include fighting slavery, uh, fighting um, the sex trade. I mean, the, these are pernicious, terrible things uh, that are happening in today's society. But understand this. Fighting against AIDS uh, uh, and uh, working to uh, to alleviate and or end poverty. I'm not. I just don't think eliminating is a realistic thing. But yeah, you know, basically working to feed the poor, to, to feed those. Those are valid fruits of the Holy Spirit. However, that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. Nor is it evangelism. Now, in some senses, it could be pre-evangelism, but evangelism comes through the proclamation of the law in all of its severity and the gospel in all of its comforting glory for the forgiveness of sins and calling people to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And so my main concern when I see all this this, uh, emphasis on social activism is that it's basically just a, a changing of the pietistic list of things that we've got to do in order to please God. Uh, but you can't. You, that's not. You can't please God that way. It, you're only made pleasing before God because of your clothed in the righteousness of Christ by faith and trust in Him for the forgiveness of sins. And so uh, that's that's always the element that seems to be missing nowadays. Whether or not uh, the uh, the the social activism and social justice that you're hearing comes from Rick Warren and or the emergent church. It's not flowing from the gospel. It's it's basically a form of works righteousness. We continue, quote, we are seeing a head snapping generational change contends Gerson, who was a top aide and former speechwriter to President George W. Bush. The model of social engagement of the religious right is increasingly exhausted. At the recent biennial evangelical leaders forum, Gerson offered three reasons for the change a recovery of scriptural emphasis, a revolt against the tone and style of the religious rite, and the effects of short-term mission trips on young Christians. According to Gerson, young Americans return from short-term mission trips with a changed worldview. Y- you-, you travel to a third-world nation and you do any any work in a third-world nation, it-, it it'll wreck you. 
I, I, I kid you not. It is so challenging. Anyway, we continue. Their exposure to poverty, HIV, AIDS, and economic injustice makes them concerned about these issues and want to improve the problems. And again, keep this in mind. This is a valid fruit of repentance. Okay? The Christian church was instrumental in overturning and getting rid of and fighting slavery in the United States and abroad. Um, and uh, Christians not ought to and must be fighting economic injustice, must be involved in fighting poverty and AIDS. But it's necessary that we do that, but necessary in the sense that it's necess- it's a necessary fruit of uh, of what Christ is working in your life through repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Anyway, I just say that. But Gerson quickly clarified that the movement to care about a broader set of issues beyond abortion and family is not an innovation, but an evangelical tradition. In a sense, he's right. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, was an opponent of slavery who had cur- who had encouraged William Wilberforce uh, to end it. Gerson pointed out, and Wilberforce was motivated by his evangelical conviction to lead the British movement to abolish the slave trade. Again, fruit of repentance. Uh, other Christian leaders in histories have led movements for women's suffrage, the minimum wage, and opposition to capital punishment. Now, those are political hot potatoes. And uh, the problem with some of these uh, uh, other ones is, uh, here's the deal. Um, I don't see a biblical mandate for the minimum wage. Okay, And um, you can be a Christian. You can be a firm Christian who trusts in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and uh, not be in favor of the minimum wage. Um, you can be a firm believer in Jesus Christ and um, and be in favor of capital punishment. So here's what's happening is, is that there is this big move away from the religious light, right, legalistic pietism, uh, which is really what um, what we're what we saw in uh, the religious right in Jerry Falwell and especially in James Dobson's focus on the family approach. Jim Dobson, I used to go to church with him. I I I. I know his uh, son uh, Ryan Dobson went to school with him and have had many conversations with Ryan Dobson and uh, used to work at Focus on the Family and I can tell you this it's all motivated by uh, legalistic perfectionism uh, you know the Wesley's uh, really bad view of sanctification and uh, and in really kind of imposing that on the nation and and uh, and so what's happening is is that people are basically they're done with that. And so but what's happening is is that uh that approach is creating the next generation of liberals. Anyway, we continue. Other Christian leaders in history have led movements for women's suffrage, the minimum wage and opposition to capital punishment. This com- combination of moral conservatism with social activism is the evangelical uh, tradition asserted Gerson, who was a biblical study, who was a biblical studies and theology major at Wheaton College? Evangelical social engagement is becoming broader, but this is not an innovation, but a revival, not a fresh track in the snow, but a rugged path uh, of history. And in, in some senses, he's absolutely right. Um, <clears throat> the problem is, is that uh, you know, again, where's my concern? That this the social activism is not a result of and fruit of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, but is just becoming a, a leftist form of pietism. That's my concern. All right, hang on a second here. Um, okay, evangelicals, common world Muslim. Okay, yeah, here we go. 
Okay, this one uh, from for also from the Telegraph in the U- UK. This is by and I saw the Telegraph. This is the Christian Post uh, by Joshua Goldberg. Common word: Muslim Muslims Christians press for common deeds. Okay, um, th- th- this one. You listen carefully. There, there's something. There's something in the story that uh, sent up a red flag. A, you know, red flag went right up my flagpole. And whoop! Just and listen carefully. Um, relevance, aggressive secular attacks, and the threat of extremism are challenges for all for all people of faith," said former British Prime Minister Tony Blair at a major Muslim Christian dialogue conference this past week. "Quote: These challenges are not for Muslims alone, or Christians, or Jews, or Hindus, or Buddhists, for that matter." Kind of question: How many uh, Christian suicide bombings have there been this last year? Yeah, just throwing it out there. Uh, they are challenges for all for people of all faith. Blair said at the 2009 Common Word Conference at Georgetown University. And the, quote, best hope for faith in the 21st century, and uh, the former U.K. leader added, is that people of faith confront all of this together. Okay, first red flag. There's a couple of them. Um, Muslims are not people of faith. They are people of works. The current form of Judaism that exists is those are not people of faith. They are people of works. Buddhism, false religion, and they are a people of works. Uh, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, and Buddhism are false religions. So um, we Christians have something very important to be working on, and that's calling the entire world to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Now, I you know I understand that um, you know that you know that. Uh, it's a problem when you have uh, extremists in the Muslim religion blowing themselves up and others. Um, and I'm glad to hear that some people are working on this. And I think it, it, there are Christians who could be working on this. But the problem is, is that the premise of this meeting is, is that people of all faiths should confront this together as if all faiths are true. <clears throat> now, this is the part that, that this is the big red flag. OK, are you ready? Quote, this is Tony Blair speaking. This is not because we intend to have the same faith. We don't, he clarified. Our separate beliefs will remain. Okay, that, I'll tell you why that statement, let me read it again. It's a red, major red flag. Tony Blair saying, and it's not because we intend to have the same faith. We don't, he clarified. Our separate beliefs will remain. But our coming together will allow us to speak in friendship to one another about our faiths. Blair said, also speak, uh, uh, able, also able to speak uh, to the world about the faith, uh, about faith. Okay, um, here's the reason why this, um, this, uh, that statement really bothers me. Rick Warren's uh, book, The Purpose Driven Church. Hang on a second. Let me, let me go. Let me get the official subhead of that. I'm going to surf out onto the web real quick and go to Amazon.com. And uh, and pull that up. Uh, here we go. Amazon.com. There we go. And, uh, oh, they've lowered the price on the Kindle. Isn't that exciting? Okay. Um, hang on a second here. Uh, Rick Warren, the purpose-driven, purpose-driven 
church. There we go. Okay, the subhead for the purpose-driven church. Here we go. <clears throat> Rick Warren's the purpose-driven church. The subhead is growth without compromising your message and mission. Growth without compromising your message and mission. Yet, the hallmark of purpose-driven and seeker-driven churches is a complete compromise of the message and mission of the church. Purpose-driven, seeker-driven churches, uh, their hallmark, their the mark that they've left on the evangelical church is an abandonment and a, and a complete capitulation and compromising of the Christian message and mission. That being the case, when I hear Tony Blair say this, this is not because we intend to have the same faith. We don't, he clarified. Our separate beliefs will remain. My question is, who was asking that question? Why is he bringing that up? Because one of the things that's happening out there is that there really is a push, especially by emergents who believe in universalism, um, and, and the expanding uh, concentric circles of love and inclusiveness that emanate from the Trinity. That's the way they talk about it. Uh, you know, that all religions are in and that God and that God is working in Islam and Judaism and Buddhism and Hinduism. Uh, see, here's the deal. There really is an undercurrent that's out there right now in in purpose drivenism and in the emergent church that seems to be blurring the lines between all the different religions they're really it really truly is happening and in and in uh, the emergent church if you read uh, Brian McLaren's generous orthodoxy the, his idea of generous orthodoxy doesn't just extend to every christian denomination and or sect his idea of generous orthodoxy extends to people in other religions so here we have uh, Tony Blair um, just kind of throwing it out there. Oh, but it's not because we intend to have the same faith. Keep in mind, he's a politician. He's anticipating something, a, a charge. And so I'm, I'm just listening to this going, the fact that you would have to bring it up makes me question whether or not uh, what you're saying is the truth. I've learned not to trust politicians, especially politicians who speak in the name of religion. So uh, the, the, I let's just say that I have a red flag. If you want to read the 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 entire article, by the way, it's at the Christian Post. It's by Joshua Goldberg. The name of it is "Common Word: Muslims, Christians, Press for Common Deeds." But see, the thing is, is that Christian good works and deeds flow from repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And our common, we cannot commonly pool our deeds with people of other religions who deny. The one true God. So uh, anyway, if, like I said, if you want to read it, it's out there at uh, ChristianPost.com. Okay, we are up on our second break. When we come back, you know, I'm going to skip that. I'm going to sk skip the uh, the Be the Church uh, story, and we're going to jump right into our sermon review. It's a sermon about courage. And um, the reason I picked this one is because I think it, it, it is exactly the kind of uh, sermon that's uh, creating the uh, the brain drain in evangelicalism and causing people to uh, abandon the church and or go emergent. So you definitely do not want to uh, to miss that. So we're up on our second break. If you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there is Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cannon photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. What if the entire resurrection was a hoax? Well, that's the premise of the book A Skeleton in God's Closet. Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber, a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archaeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archaeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth no matter what the cost. Said Paul Erdman of the New York Times, With a skeleton in God's closet, Paul Meyer has created a new genre, the theological thriller. It reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity. It's a superb book. A Skeleton in God's Closet is available at piratechristianradio.com. It's right there on the homepage. It's available for $14.99 plus $4.95 shipping and handling. And all proceeds support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com and get your copy of A Skeleton in God's Closet today. Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Kitchen Source as one of our featured advertisers. Since 1996, Kitchen Source has been the leading online retailer of kitchen, bathroom, patio, and home accessories. Time and experience has allowed Kitchen Source to select some of the finest quality merchandise from top manufacturers around the globe. And they are pleased to continually add to their vast product selection in order to offer you the best home products. If you'd like to find out more about Kitchen Source, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash kitchen. That's right, piratechristianradio.com forward slash kitchen. And then when you land on that homepage, click on the friendly web banner that will take you to the Kitchen Source website. And remember that a portion of all of your purchases at Kitchen Source goes to support the work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash kitchen today. All right, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith, hour number two, sermon review time.
All right, our sermon uh, review today. Let me, in fact, let me kick up the uh, sermon review music here. I'm, I'm just a little slow on the uptake today. I, I tell you, you know, just still recovering from uh, the emergent conference and on the road. This is going to be an interesting combo this week. Anyway, sorry. Uh, so here we go. From the good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. Now, this uh, sermon, we've reviewed sermons from this guy before. His name is Kevin Gerald from the Champions Center out there near Seattle, Washington. And again, the reason I picked this particular sermon is because I think this is indicative. This is exactly the kind of preaching and teaching that's causing the evangelical brain drain to occur. Anybody with half a brain sits there and goes, This is not biblical. This guy is just blowing smoke. And the ambitious are who think that uh, God is, you know, basically the cosmic genie in the sky, who's just waiting for you to go, God, I need you to do this, or God, I kind of need you to do that. You know, well, that they, if they think that's what God is, and you know, they're, well, attracted to, quote, preachers like Kevin Gerald. Uh, let's kill that music. Yeah, thank you. All right, so without any further ado, here is um, Kevin Gerald, and the name of this sermon is Courage. Be brave, be courageous. I think this guy likens himself to a televangelist because this is, I'm actually watching a, a, a video. His podcast is a video podcast. I think he thinks he's the next Joel Osteen. Discover the champion in you. Champion Center is the name of his church. Did I mention that? is defined as what makes someone capable of facing extreme danger and or difficulty without retreating. Hold on, I want to point something out here. As I'm watching this particular video, Kevin Gerald is holding open a book that looks kind of Bible-ish, but he's not reading from the Bible. This is not a, quote, biblical sermon, at least so far, because he's not actually reading to us from the Word of God. Just some definition of courage. The courage, for example, to confront an enemy and or an adversity head on. It implies not only bravery, but a dauntless spirit and the ability to endure in times of adversity. 
oh, that's uh, that's just so. Uh, well, I want it's not deep. Um, so, uh, um, what did my mom say? If you can't say anything nice, we continue. God's called all of us to live a life of courage. Really, God is the one who's called all of us to live a life of courage. Got a Bible verse on that one? And one of the things that, you know, I, I've always just wanted... I thought God was calling us to a life of faith. Yeah, and, and uh, I would cite Hebrews 11. The whole chapter is like the basis for that one. ...to pastor an encouraging church. I've never wanted to pastor a critical church, a cynical church. Always wanted to lead a, a, an encouraging church. You know what it means to encourage? It means to put courage into somebody else. So the, Bi you, the Bible has basically laid out that your job as a pastor is to put courage in other people. Oh, boy. See, this, this is what I'm telling you. It's like this is exactly the kind of stuff being preached that's causing the best and brightest minds to leave Christianity. They're out of here. And it's, it's specifically because of this kind of stuff. When you're encouraging someone, you're transferring courage to them. You're, you're building up the level of courage in them. That's what we did a while ago. We took a minute and we clapped for the ushers and we clapped for the people. That, you know, we weren't only, I mean, some of those people I had you clap for, they, they didn't hear you clap. But it's good. And what we were doing there is we're just creating an atmosphere of encouragement. Well, good for you. I thought you were supposed to be creating an atmosphere where God's word was being preached in, in its entirety, uh, you know, in, you know, so that uh, people would be made disciples and so that their faith would be strengthened through uh, the preaching of the gospel and God's word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're reminding everyone how important it is that we all sense and feel courage in our life and how valuable it is to be in an atmosphere of encouragement. We have new people flow into you know, in the ministries of the church, ushers and, and greeters and people in the parking lot, people in children and people up here on the platform. We have people flowing in all. And I hope you'll always just, just encourage those people. I hope you'll let them know you appreciate it. I hope, I hope we don't become a church that sits back and says, well, let's see what you can do. But we're a church that cheers people on and creates that whole, I support you, I'm behind you, I'm with you, come on, be brave, be courageous, step out. Amen? So there's four things that I want to I take out of this first nine verses of Joshua 1 to help you to stand strong when life is hard. The f oh, okay, so this entire courage thing is from Joshua 1. All right, here we go. First thing is found in verses 1 through 4, and it is simply think progress. What? <clears throat> Hang on a second here. Got to whirl up the old uh, computerized Bible. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. <clears throat> we read, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, 
That does not mean that he didn't have any parents. I just want to make that clear. Uh, Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and his uh, and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you and or forsake you. Be strong. And, oh, by the way, um, you see, you're getting clear words of the Lord, clear promises of God. Um, wouldn't this actually be all about faith rather than courage? Trusting in the, in the sure and certain word of the Lord, where God is promising that every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given to you just as I have promised to Moses. Here in Joshua chapter 1, the big thing is the promise of God. And by the way... We do have promises given to us, but our promises don't have anything to do with uh, the soles of our feet touching a land or crossing the Jordan. No, the promises given to each and every one of us is that in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven because of his, his being pierced for our transgressions on the cross of Calvary for our sins. And that in Christ there is forgiveness and mercy and eternal life and a, and a future hope and glory. You see what I'm saying? Those are the promises that we can rest on because those are made to us. We continue. Think progress. Think progress. If you just begin in verse 1, first line says, God talks to Joshua, and it all starts like this. He said, here's the bad news. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now. Somebody shout, now. So what he's saying is, your life's not over. I'm not done with you yet. What he's saying here is, don't get stuck in your losses. Don't get stuck in your grief. Uh, no, it doesn't say anywhere in the text. That's, this is what we call eisegesis. No, notice what he's doing. He's not exegeting what the text says. He's inserting stuff into it that's not there. Don't get stuck in your setback. Don't get stuck in your heartache. Don't get stuck where you are in this situation that you're in right now. Because your life has a future. Listen. You hear that sucking sound? That's the uh, sound of, of uh, the theological, uh, the evangelical brain drain. I've got places for you to go. I got people for you to meet, and I got things for you to do. Oh, it's oh yeah, it's all of yeah. Uh huh. Notice he's 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 just completely uh, reading that into the text, and somehow this applies to you. You've got places to go, things to see, and oh, the things that you can do. I've got territory. He said to them, your territory will extend beyond where it is right now. 
I know. See, see, what you got to remember is that Moses was Joshua's mentor. Moses was a father-like figure to Joshua. Moses was the, I mean, he was a great friend. To, and, and Joshua was, his heart was aching that day. He had just lost a friend, a father, a mentor. And God comes along and says, Moses, my servant, is dead now. 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 What I want to say to you today is that gasoline is $4 a gallon. Now. Things are tough in the economy, at least tough for those of us who are used to a different standard of living. And, 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 and it gets a little tough in times like this. Now. So you lost your job. Now. Some of you have had a decrease in pay. Now. What does any of this have to do with Joshua and the promises given to Joshua by God? That's the uh, evangelical brain drain. It's that sucking sound. Uh, people with half a brain, that's them leaving Christianity altogether. Uh, God's sheep uh, wandering, leaving this church and basically going nowhere because they can't be fed. Some of you have just gone through a divorce and you're like, now, now, now. Now what? God would say to you, don't sit here in your losses. Don't sit here in your disappointment. Think progress. The second thing that I see. Uh, right. God is saying think progress. No, it doesn't say that in Joshua at all. God's saying is in verse 5 and 6. He says, and I'm summarizing. And I, 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 <laughs> no, you're eisegeting. There's a big difference. I basically think that he's telling Joshua. I basically think. I basically think that he's telling Joshua. In other words, you're just completely winging it. You have no idea. Bet you can't read it in the Hebrew, can you? I bet you didn't even crack open a single good scholarly commentary, did you? Think of me as a constant, invincible presence in your life. Now, let me tell you how I got that point. Here's what the Bible says that God said to him. Can't wait to find out how, what route you took to get there. He says to Joshua, Joshua, no one's going to be able to stand against you all the days of your life. I was with Moses, and I'm with you. Just like I was with Moses, I'm with you. I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. One of the most common human ways of thinking is to assume that on good days, God's present, and on bad days, He's nowhere to be found. It's just a common way of thinking. If you find somebody oftentimes who's having a good good season in their life, and they're, they're a believer, they might would say, you say, how you doing? They might would say something like, oh, God's really been good. Same person enters a bad season of their life, and they're on the phone, they're dialing a friend. What does any of this have to do with Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 and 6? 
Uh, let me see here. Uh, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Uh, there, There's Joshua being told to be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Now keep in mind, he's telling him to be strong and courageous regarding the promises made to him. Um, I have, is there any promise in the Bible that, uh, that your marriage is going to make it? I, I hate to say it. No. Uh, is there any promise that you're going to be wealthy and get that, uh, you know, that promotion at work so that you, you have to, you can stop working two jobs in order to make ends meet? Uh, no, there is no promise in the Bible that about such things. We continue. <laughs> Where God's at. <laughs> I haven't seen God in weeks. You know, of all people in the world, those of us who live in Seattle, we need we ought to understand something. And that is that the sun is still there even when we don't see it. Oh, that was um, really deep. Whoa. Can I take you to the spiritual truth in that is that the presence of problems doesn't mean the absence of God. Clouds rolling in in your life doesn't mean God's gone. All the more reason to acknowledge that God is with me. And it's like God was looking at Joshua that day. It's kind of like God was looking at him. I'm just imagining in my mind, allow me to do he's, he's, Yeah, you were just imagining in your mind. We're preaching the imaginations of your mind, Kevin. Yeah, that's what we're preaching. That's what we're hearing. Again, it's exactly this kind of preaching. Exactly this kind of completely vainglorious, me-centered, shallow, vapid, devoid of any truth, complete eisegesis, uh, preaching that's causing people with half a brain to leave Christianity altogether. He's like, he's like, he's like saying, I'm talking to you. Cause you got some tough days coming. Look at me, boy. Look at me. Yeah, that, this would be his imagination uh, exige- you know, on what he thinks hap- is happening here in Joshua chapter 1. I don't see or hear any of that in um, Joshua chapter 1 at all. I was with Moses, and I'm going to be with you. Now, I want you to get this right now from the start, son. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You're going to face giants and tough times. I'm there. You got it? Uh, no, God is not reminding him that he's, quote, there. He's reminding him of the promises made that he's going to keep regarding taking possession of the land of Israel, currently occupied by pagans. That's what I see God doing with Joshua. I think there's a Christmas carol. When the dog bites. When the bee stings. Sorry, my brain just goes off sometimes. You know, there's another song that comes to mind. Uh, 
yeah, it's from the Wizard of Oz. If I only had the noise. Yeah, here we go. Come on. Yeah, it's sad, believe me, Missy, when you're born to be a sissy without the feminine five. But I could show my prowess, be a lion, not a mouse, if I only had the nerve. I'm afraid there's no denying, I'm just a dandelion, a fate I don't deserve. I'd be brave as a blizzard. I'd be gentle as a lizard. I'd be clever as a gizzard. If the wizard is a wizard who will serve, then I'm sure to get a brain, a heart, a home, the knife. Yeah, a little courage song there from the Cowardly Lion. We continue. And I'm feeling sad. I simply remember that God is with me, and then I don't feel so bad. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Verse 7 and 8, my summary of what God said to him in verse 7 and 8 is simply think straight. His summary of uh, verses 7 and 8 there in uh, first, in Joshua chapter 1, well, you notice something here. He's not even reading the text. The people there at the Champions Center there in the greater Seattle area don't even get the courtesy of actually hearing the preacher man um, opening up the Bible. Yeah, that's just lovely. Uh, by the way, uh, I will not insult your intelligence. I'll actually read verses 7 and 8. We read, uh, So only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This you shall meditate on day and night, so that when you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Notice it's based upon the law, but we continue. Think straight. Now, the, the way he said it was things like, don't let my book depart from your mouth. Keep your, keep your mind meditating on my words and my instructions for your life day and night. And be careful to do everything written therein, because if you do, I'll make your way prosperous and you'll be very successful. And that's what God tells him. That was it. So my summary of that is think straight. Yeah, do the law. You know, this is law. This is not gospel. This is law. Don't let your mind compromise my instructions. If you want to live a successful life, you're going, to, you're going to have to stay on course with your thinking and what I'm telling you to do, even when you don't understand and even when life is tough. Come on. Be careful to observe my ways. When times are tough, people go from... Oftentimes, they take a bad situation and make it a crisis. What was a, a, a time of adversity turns to an all-out setback. Children of Israel were supposed to walk through the wilderness 11 days. They ended up being there 40 years. You ever seen anybody like that? It's from lack of faith. Oh, boy. 
Drama, drama, drama. Drama, drama, drama. Drama Dorothy. Drama Don. Drama Dan. Sorry if you have that name. I'm... You could be Dreamer Don Dorothy. Or... By the way, my I want to back this up. Jude, verse 5. Uh, Jude writes, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, the Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Remember, by nature, we are sinful and dead in trespasses and sins, and through uh, God regenerating us, we there do good works. And the reason, you know, what is disobedience? It shows lack of faith and trust in God. We continue. I don't know, but drama, drama kings, drama queens, drama, 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 drama. Meditate on. I mean, what a biblical worldview when the dog bites is Romans eight twenty eight, for example, says all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and called according to His purpose. Them who uh, love the Lord, those will be those who have faith, who have been saved by grace through faith. You're just you're just quoting it out of context without any gospel. That's a biblical worldview. No, you do not have a biblical worldview at all, Kevin. You are a prosperity pimp. Have a biblical worldview, not a soap opera worldview. Yeah, that's what you're getting out of Joshua one. Amazing. Again. That's the sound of the evangelical brain drain. That's why, you know, people, what are you against? You against this, Kevin? You against that, Kevin? I'm against anything that takes us off course with God's plan for our life. I'm just against it, you know? People debate, well... Like false teaching? I don't think that's wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong. Well, is there anything good about it? Is there anything excellent about it? That's what Philippians 4 and 8 says think on. And don't debate sin. Just go for the best in life. What, what brings out... Don't debate sin. Let's just go for the best in life. Well, that could w- open the door wide open for all kinds of things, couldn't it? Well, the best for me is, you know, a couple of women on the side. You know, maybe... If, oh, come on. The best in your life. What, what's going to swing things toward the ultimate plan God has for you so you can stay on course with it? Law. This is all. What's going to swing things so that you can stay on course? You can't. Law. 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 Got any 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 winners in the room today? Anybody anybody with me on this? So in tough times, you know, I'm not going to whine. I don't want to whimper. I don't want to cry. You know, I, I don't mean literally. I, I think there's, I, I've heard some guys confess to me in, in the last couple months that they have had moments of such despair and discouragement that they found themselves weeping in their car alone. They find themselves not understanding why they're so, you know, just with, with personal setbacks and cry. Yeah, personal setbacks. Uh, again, uh, you're getting this all from Joshua chapter 1 again. He, notice he's not really engaging in Bible teaching. He's baptized his self-help pep talk, his motivational speech, with some Bible stuff. And he didn't even read the passages. He just summarized them for you. Think straight, um, whatever that means. And, uh, and, and, and now he's giving you a motivational pep talk. 
This isn't biblical preaching at all. Right, not knowing how I'm going to get through this and deal with that. I, I'm not condemning you for that. I'm, I'm saying to you today, think straight, even when tears are rolling down your face. Don't catastrophize. Don't get all caught up in the don't <laughs> What? Catastrophize? Is that a word? <laughs> you know, I make up words all the time. I really shouldn't uh, be hypocritical here. Catastrophize. Okay. Drama. But think straight in terms of God is with me. God is for me. This is going to turn around. I How do I know God's for me? Can you think of anything that would show that God is for me? You know, like the cross, uh, forgiveness of sins, things like that. Uh, what about the Apostle Paul and all the terrible things that happened in his life? I'm going to emerge out of this season in my life. This too shall pass. Think straight. And a biblical worldview also means that when you're, when you're in a tough time and people have lied about you, don't lie back. People have, have criticized you, don't criticize back. Come on. People have been judged. Oh, this is such great advice. Too bad it's not good news. Mental toward you, you just refrain, keep your mouth from going there, don't get caught up in the petty and the squabbling. Yeah, yeah, I, I, we could have got this from uh, the farmer's almanac, you know. And all the stuff and the offenses and all the junk and all the, don't get caught up in that. Think straight. You got to think straight. You're on a battlefield here. And if you want to win, you got to think straight. If I want to win, I've got to think straight. Where's that in the Bible again? This is not even a valid implication of um, the text that you're supposedly preaching on. Which, by the way, we haven't actually heard God's words, except for me teaching it. And the last thing I think God was saying to him that day is... The last thing I think God was saying to him. The la oh, man. ...is in verse 9. And it just kind of summarized. I started with that verse today. Where God said, you know, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. I'm with you wherever you go. It's like God comes right back to this theme and says, I want you to think like a champion. I want you. Really? The, the Joshua chapter 1 says God wants us to think like a champion. Yep, that's the sound of the uh, the evangelical brain drain. People with half a brain saying, "I'm going emergent." I want you to think like a champion. Look at me, everybody. Give me give me like three to five more minutes. Let me let me just tell you this: champions don't think like average people, and average people don't think like champions. If you're thinking like everyone around you then don't be surprised that you have the same results in your life as the people at work, people in your neighborhood. The divorce rates are really high. The crisis is really high. Mental health issues are really high. Major problems. Children are growing up in absentee with absentee father. I mean, I could go on and on. God didn't call you and I to think average. God came into your life to help. Is it a sin if I think average? You know, just asking. Help you renew your mind and to teach you how to think like a champion.
And you're getting that from Joshua chapter 1. How again? <sighs> Hang on a second here. I got to go back. I was I just flipped over to Jude. I just, God wants us to think like a champion. <clears throat> All right, let me see here. He's summarizing. Again, remember, he hasn't actually read any of the Bible at all. God's word has not actually made an appearance in this sermon at all. Summaries of God's word supposedly have made uh, appearances, but these uh, summaries are very suspect, very suspect. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right or to the left. Uh, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on a day and night so that you may be careful to do according all that is written in it. For then you will make, I will make your way prosperous and uh, you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And uh, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp, and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Nothing there about thinking like a champion. I'm just not seeing it. Maybe I need to put on my special prosperity spectacles that will allow me to see things in the Bible that just ain't there. You gotta elevate your thinking. You don't want to embrace the common way. You don't want to embrace what everyone else is saying. You know, you know that you're not supposed to be ordinary or common or average. A friend of mine named John Mason wrote a book called The Enemy Called Average. Average is our enemy. Uh, I thought sin, death, and the devil were our enemy, at least you know, from the biblical point of view. Average is our enemy now? What if you are a person born with average intelligence? What if you're a person born into a family that has average income? What if you're like the average family and you have 2.4 kids? I don't know where you get 0.4 of a kid, but... Y- 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 I said average is our enemy. Uh, no, Satan is the enemy that the Bible talks about. I'm not concerned about average. Satan, uh, Jesus didn't die on the cross to slay the, uh, to slay average. You're not supposed to be normal. Normal is a, a setting on a dryer. <laughs> yep, he wrote that one himself. I think I've heard that before. No, he didn't write that himself. He stole it from somebody. <laughs> he sure is tickled with his little comment. He's so proud of himself. That's the sound of people with half a brain leaving Christianity and uh and either going emergent or going nowhere. If you're going to make it through tough times and be strong in tough times, you've got to think with the determination of a champion who's reaching for the prize. And you've got to keep pumping yourself. You look at champions, whatever field of sports or athletics, the people who are champions, they are encouraging themselves. And you've got to learn how to do that in life. If no one else is encouraging you, get up, you get up tomorrow morning and do, do this anyway. Just look in the mirror and talk to yourself and tell yourself, remind yourself, I am who God says I am. I... I am str- uh, God's word says I'm a sinner. 
doesn't say anything about me being a champion. It says I'm a sinner in need of a savior. What Bible are you reading, Kevin? Wrong. I am courageous. I am the head and not the tail. I'm an overcomer. I'm from above, not beneath. I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and gosh darn, people like me. And I can take this. I can make it here. I can come out. Notice the little self-affirmations here. On the other end, better, in fact. Take me through the fire. I'll be refined. I'll be better on that end than I am on this end. I cannot believe this passes off as, quote, Christian preaching. Why anyone would give a tithe check to this man is absolutely beyond me. a picture today of a cat looking in a mirror and and what does it see it sees a lion as its reflection oh that's so not in the bible some some people they like um oh, just a cat Just a, I'm just an ordinary guy. Just a normal guy. So, I kid you not, up on the screen is a picture of a little tiny kitten looking into the mirror. That's symbolic, don't you think? And it sees the reflection of a lion. This isn't found in the Bible at all, by the way. And the headline on this little little affirmation reads, What matters most is how you see yourself. Really, what matters most is how you see yourself. Well, in some strange uh, cockamamie way, that's kind of true. Because what matters is that you see yourself as God sees you, as a wretched sinner who has earned God's wrath and eternal hell because of your wickedness and rebellion against God and the things that he has commanded of you in your life, and that you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, the sins that he atoned for on the cross, the sins by which his blood propitiated the wrath of God, the, the, the blood by which you were redeemed, and Satan himself and death and the devil were defeated as a result of his working on the cross. So yeah, it's it's absolutely right that you it, what it does matter that you see yourself correctly. So when you look into the mirror of God's word, what you should see come back to you is wretched sinner in need, desperately in need of a savior. A sinner who if it were not for the grace of God in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for your sins, you were to you will have no eternal hope. Nothing about seeing yourself as a lion. I um, Well, you, and you'll stay that. Is that really what you want? I'm just having tough times and difficult. Let me tell you about Condoleezza Rice. Can I tell you real quick? Oh, please, feel free. I mean, we're off the biblical track anyways. We're completely off the biblical rails at all. This is not a biblical sermon. This is not a Christian sermon. And that's the sound of uh, Christians with half a brain or people with half a brain leaving Christianity and they're heading to the emergent church. Closing about Condoleezza Rice. I was reading 
little bit about Condoleezza. She's, she's the most powerful African-American woman in U.S. government history. She grew up in segregated Alabama. Her grandfather was a poor cotton farmer. Her mom and dad were school teachers in a segregated school. But something happened to her early on in her life. And you can see the results. She becomes a concert pianist. She becomes a world-class ice skater. She graduates from high school at the age of 15. She goes on to the University of Denver and graduates with a degree in political science. At the and what exactly does this have to do with uh, Joshua chapter 1? By the way, if we were to take the people there at uh, the, quote, Champions Center and to give them a quick biblical quiz of the contents of uh, Joshua chapter 1, how do you think they'd score? You know, 10-point quiz, just 10 questions. How do you think they'd score? Would they know anything about what God's Word says? Would they have really learned anything at all about what God's Word says there in Joshua chapter 1? Not that it, it's pure knowledge that we're looking for. It just demonstrates the point that uh, this man ain't preaching Joshua chapter 1, even though it, it it's supposedly supposed to look like he is. The age of 19... And when somebody said to her, how does this happen? She said, my parents told me over and over and over and over again that I may not be able to eat a hamburger at Woolworths, but that I could be the president of the United States. Come on. Come on, champions. Um, well, they're not Christians, but they're champions. Oh, that's great. Come on, champions. Can anybody tell I'm fired up this weekend? Is it showing? I am fired up, not just for me, but for you. And I'm believing we're going to emerge, and all of you who are with me in this, we're just going to emerge from whatever challenges that we have faced in our life. I just believe. I Yeah, that's that's. I'm so glad you believe that. I just feel so much comfort and you know, and so much closer to God now. Yeah, that's, that's the sound of um, uh, the big sucking sound of the uh, of Christian brain drain. And we're going to emerge with heaven applauding us and heaven saying way to go we're going to emerge with heaven applauding us you've got to be kidding me why would heaven applaud you you are a sinner and you don't even preach christ and him crucified i hate to say it kevin but uh, i'm not going to pull any punches here uh when you stand before christ if you continue to persist in this heresy you have some major explaining to do and we're going to get through, you're going to get through whatever you're going through. If you'll just do these things I'm talking about today, if you will think... Law, law, law. What things are you talking about? Just think straight? Oh, please. Think progress. If you'll remember God is with you, and with Him you are invincible. If you'll just keep those things in your mind today, if you'll think straight... And think like a champion today. No cross, no Jesus Christ, just completely vapid platitudes.
that come out of their origin, by the way, is the uh, basically the mind of uh, Kevin Gerald. Oh, what a creative guy he is. But th- th- these uh, platitudes do not have their origin in God's word, even though he really, really did a fine and fine job of uh, making it appear like this was from God's word. You'll emerge from whatever you're going through right now at a higher level of strength and power and momentum. You will look back at this season in your life. I looked into the face of two... Oh, this is just bovine scatology. Just absolute bovine scatology. People today in Bellevue, uh, Caleb and Michael, who are new members of our worship team, but they came here from Hurricane Katrina. Lost everything. And now... Life is so, so, so different for them than it was in that aftermath. They've both got great jobs. They found an awesome church. And, you know, that their life is amazing. Come on, I'm seeing you today on the other side of your situation. I'm seeing you, of the, the lion in the mirror. You feel like a cat, but there's a lion. Yeah, Kevin, I'm seeing you on the other side of life, uh, standing before the judgment seat of Christ. It's not looking good there, dude. You are a false teacher. You are a wretched agent of the devil. Lying in the mirror in your life today. You're a champion. You are not a chump. You're a sinner, not a saint. You need to repent and trust in the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ and see yourself the way the Bible says you are, a sinner in need of a Savior. Then, by trusting in Christ through the gift of God that comes through the preaching of the gospel, through regeneration, through water and the word, you then, uh, well... Um, then you're a saint, but this is just ridiculous. I don't, uh. Say, I'm not a chump. Yeah, you're a chump. Come on, I'm not a chump. No, Kevin, really, you are a chump. I'm not a dump. Don't let people keep dumping on you. You're... Yeah, dude, you know, really serious. Um, That's where Christ is going to throw you into the dump, into Gehenna. Look it up in the Greek. Look, yeah, if you can. You're not a dump. You're a champion. You You are a sinner in need of a savior. Oh, my goodness. You are a champion. You are God's child, and you are a champion. So that was the the courage sermon. Uh, This is part of a series. He's doing an entire series on courage. uh, From the Champions Center there in the greater Seattle area. And... Again, the reason I picked this out, this is exactly, exactly the intelligence-insulting thing that's being passed on. Basically, ear-scratching, ego-feeding crap. It's absolute garbage that's that's being done in the name of Christ. And you know what's happening? People are starving to death. God's people are starving to death to hear God's word, uh, to hear Christ and him crucified. And they're not getting it from the pulpits. They're not getting it from Christian pulpits. And there's people who are just absolutely incensed by what's going on because God gave them something called a brain. 
and they're just not that stupid. And what's happening? They're leaving the church completely, or they're heading off to the emergent church, which is giving them the ability to at least be treated with some kind of intellectual dignity. And either way, in both of those scenarios, they're not hearing God's word, though. It's just this perfect storm right now. It is a perfect storm. And we as Christians, those of us who know God's word, who know the clarion call of the gospel is, the, is repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, I, I, it, it falls on us to do something. It falls on us to boldly proclaim the truth, to do solid catechetical work with our children and to plant churches where Christ is exalted and his word is preached and it's taught. The Christian church needs it desperately. These are dark times. These are bleak days. And this is exactly the kind of preaching that created the emergent church. All right, we are rapidly approaching the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. And I need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. If uh, you are encouraged by the work that we're, we're doing, if you are growing in your understanding of God's Word and in the, in the, uh, in the challenges that we are currently facing here in the, in the church, not only in America but around the world, uh, then we need you to partner with us and uh, join our pirate Christian radio Fighting for the Faith crew. Uh, we are calling upon our listeners. We have many thousands and thousands of listeners, and we're calling on a thousand of our listeners to join the Pirate Christian Radio crew. And uh, and by signing up, uh, you're you're basically uh, setting it up in such a way that six dollars and ninety five cents a month, a mere six dollars and ninety five cents a month, is deducted automatically from your account and goes towards paying our bills, so that we can continue to bring this important radio outreach and Pirate Christian Radio to you. You can uh, sign up by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and click on one of the friendly yellow buttons there that says Join Our Crew. It, you can sign up securely right there online, and by doing so, you ensure the longevity of this program and the continuing mission of Fighting for the Faith to bring the world, and, and, and literally it sounds like Christ's remnant, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ-centered, cross-focused teaching, doctrine, theology, right here at Pirate Christian Radio for the world, for you and for the world. Uh, so visit FightingForTheFaith.com and click on our Join Our Crew button today. And if you'd like to donate above and beyond the, the $6.95, you can do so by clicking on our Donate button there at the website as well. Or you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it along to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Well, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and uh, <laughs> again, broadcasting from the frozen tundra of the north. Um, if you, <laughs> Oh, man, I've got a long way to go. All right, anyway, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com or you can uh, ask to be my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there is Pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, and, and may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for your sins. Amen. Amen.